In order to retire successfully, you'll need vision. You'll also need a plan to execute that vision. Welcome to Retirement Pathfinder with Barbara Lane and Phil Gusky. On today's show, we'll give you the tools you need to navigate unique challenges you'll face in retirement. It's time to chart your financial future. Retirement Pathfinder starts now. Welcome into the Retirement Pathfinder. Glad to have you here on another episode. It's a mailbag edition of the podcast today. We're going to answer your questions, so thanks for sending those in, which you can always do online at pathfinderadvisory.com. Barbara and Phil, welcome in. What's going on? Well, thank you. Yeah. How are you doing, Ben? We're doing we're doing great over here. I'm doing well. Also, I, I, you know things are things are good. Busy with work, which is always nice, and I'm sure we are overdue for a farm update, Phil. <laughs> Yes, the farm update. Okay, I'm going to call this segment the big farm bully. The big Uh-oh. farm bully. Okay, so now that we've turned the corner on winter, hopefully, uh, I've had a chance to go out there and survey the effects of the winter on on the uh, the ground and and the trees and everything else out there. So one of the things that I've noticed uh, is how skinny our five barn cats have gotten. They really look skinny and. You know, we usually feed them a lot of high protein, high energy food during the winter season just to kind of, you know, supplement their diet and that type of thing. And I thought they were eating all their food because their bowls were certainly empty every time I'd go out there. But I had a feeling that something else was going on there that I wasn't aware of. So here's what I did I set up a trail cam in the barn to find out what was happening to their food. Mm. And sure enough, on that video was a huge animal that showed up. This thing, I thought it was a small bear. No it was, kidding. Yeah, it was in a standoff with the cats and they were they were ready to attack this thing. And I thought, oh, no, kitties, don't do that. This thing is huge. It'll wipe you out. You know what it was? A huge opossum. Uh, it was an opossum. It could have been a raccoon. It is huge. Yeah, it's, the thing must have weighed 100 pounds, but it's been <laughs> mm-hmm. getting fat on all our kitty food throughout the winter, you know? So maybe it wasn't 100 pounds, but it was big. Anyhow, so it's time to set up the live trap and reclo- relo- ro- relocate our, our, our little uh, opossum buddy here. You know, the poor cats uh, didn't get their food. And of course, uh, mom and dad didn't, uh, they were out some of the bucks for buying it as well. So that's, that's kind of what's going on, on on the farm there. Every now and then you run across a big farm bully. And that, that was an example of, of that guy. Now, what happens to, when you're going to relocate them? Don't you don't you have to go a certain amount of miles away? Otherwise, they'll come. They'll they'll you find their way right back. Yeah, they've got a built-in honing radar device that kind of brings them back. But um, yeah, they usually take them across the river to the other side, not across the bridge, not not the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> we don't we don't we don't put them down, but we really relocate them. Yeah, we're, we're humane in our particular sure. uh, relocation. Yeah, that's the big farm bully. There's always, the the, there's always something happening out there on the farm. So <laughs> thank you, That's Phil, true. for sharing that with us today. We always appreciate it. All right. It's time to open up the mailbag today and, and answer questions. We love doing this format because it offers us the opportunity to really touch on a number of different retirement and financial planning topics. So whatever's on your mind, you can always send it in to us and we'll try to feature it on a future, a future episode of the Retirement Pathfinder. So we'll start off with Mary today, who says, I'm 62 and have about $1.4 million. How much can I spend yearly without running out? Well, congratulations, Mary. That's that's a sizable slug of cash you have there for mm-hmm. retirement. But in order to answer Mary's question, I need to ask her this one very important question. So, Mary, let me ask you this: How long are you planning to live? <laughs> you know, so uh, you know you may not know the answer to that question, which is probably good. But here's the logic behind it: uh, If you have good health, inherited excellent genes, and live a long time 
the answer will probably be different on how you spend your money than if you are in poor health, smoke two packs of packs of cigarettes a day and have comorbidity issues, right? Very true. Yeah. So the first way we can help give Mary that guaranteed income she may be looking for, regardless of her life expectancy, uh, is to guarantee her a payout through something called an annuity. Uh, pensions use it all the time. It's usually done with an insurance company. They have guaranteed payouts based on life expectancy. However, annuity payouts have some built-in flaws, the biggest of which is they don't keep up with either inflation or cost of living. Another is uh, once you set up an income stream using an annuity, you cannot normally change or terminate that contract. And so why is it that you can't change it? You can't modify it? Well, the insurance company that you contract with for the payout has committed those dollars uh, to long-term fixed investments like treasuries and corporate bonds. Uh, so now there, there are some new variations to the annuities you can buy out there that are a little bit more flexible, but quite frankly, this is not the complete answer to Mary's question. Uh, what is a better way or a better method of advising Mary? It's to start with a different question. And here it is, Barb, instead mm -hmm. of asking how much can I spend, how about asking the question, how much will I need? Right. And this is to go to, you know, static expenses. Most folks don't have a clue about how much they need in retirement. Uh, things crop up that they don't even think about, like taxes. We're finding out that uh, they didn't anticipate how much they pay in tax or Medicare supplement policies mm -hmm. and those particular premiums, emergency funds put on the side and other unexpected needs to be included into what we call a spending plan, otherwise known as a budget. You know, 1.4 million seems like a lot. It would last most people during their retirement uh, the retirement years. But one of the things we have to do is understand that life expectancy is increasing due to uh, better medical care. And it's necessary now to plan out to age 100. My mother is 90, 98 years old. I know. I you know, it's, it's incredible. And I know a lot of other people in their 90s. <laughs> so once we, we factor that in or factor in inflation, uh, this becomes a real uh, complex planning challenge. So at Pathfinder, we specialize in designing plans to meet these requirements. Now, once a spending plan or a budget is initially established, we can use a number of very sophisticated tools that will determine the probability of supporting Mary's income so she'll have enough money to spend in her retirement. Now, each client is different, and there are many different questions to ask and many different variables to establish to give the client a qualified answer. And so if you're like Mary and nearing retirement, you need to give our office a call to help guide you through this difficult income maze. Yeah, uh, and I agree, Phil. And my first question to Mary would be, what does it cost you to live? You mm -hmm, know, plus right. deciding, you know, what we'd like to do in retirement and add those costs also. Are you retired? And if not, when? And assuming Mary's not married, then this money is just has to last for you. But do you have kids? Do you have grandchildren? You'd like to see get something? And, you know, what do you want to see happen with the money once you're gone, whether that's prematurely or end of life? So, um, you know, to give accurate answers, then there are several more questions to be answered. So reach out to us. Yeah, it's not off the rack, is it? Right. It's very specialized and customized per client. Yeah, that's always key, too, to remember that uh, we'll always need more information from you. So you always want to follow up with a with a meeting with Barbara and Phil to really get a, a thorough answer for you. But we'll always do our best to give you an answer here on the show as well. So thank you for that question, Mary. Next up is George. It says, I have all my retirement savings in one IRA. Should I move some of it somewhere else to be diversified? You know, that is a very good question. And I actually appreciate these questions because they see, it makes us feel like we're um, talking to people that have a real issue. But uh, the answer is, how well are you diversified now? Mm. You know, oftentimes people look at diversification as having a lot of stuff. 
or maybe even more than one advisor. Well, back in the early, uh, well, it was late 90s, early 2000s, actually, I met with someone that had a page full of different companies that he invested in. They were all in technology. Well, that's a good example of under diversification. He was invested in all the same sector, yet he thought he was diversified because he didn't have what all his eggs in one basket. And, you know, so that that part is true, you know, in, in that respect. But when we have uh, when clients come in here, we teach them the right kind of diversification is the key. Looking at diversification, certainly in a different manner. Those technology companies were all in one sector. That's technology. So when the market dropped, his entire portfolio dropped and he had nothing to combat that, like fixed income or bonds, that would have softened the blow. We teach our clients based on an academic approach to investing. And that means after 70 plus years of research, when you own companies in each of 19 asset classes, like your small and value growth and microcap U.S. international and so forth, plus fixed income, you have exposure to the entire stock market. So diversification is about dissimilar price movement. Not all those asset classes are moving in the same direction at the same time. So George, to answer your question, we have clients that have their IRA that came from one or more 401ks and they're well diversified and they have one IRA account. It's more a story of diversification and what that looks like for you rather than multiple accounts. Our, really, our diversification approach, our philosophy about diversification really deals very extensively with with the academic yep. uh, definition of it. And that would include 40 different countries, 20 different asset classes, and get this over 15,000 unique holdings. That's diversification. You don't see that happening very often. In fact, you see a lot of duplication. People have mutual funds and they think they're all in different diversified categories. Well, they could all be in large cap growth. Yep, and investing, and then mutual funds, of course, you know, pick 60 to 80 companies and you could be investing in those same companies same over runs. and over and over again yes. and, and, you know, omitting uh, ones that you should be in. Right. And people are really misled. They don't understand because they don't have the tools to kind of look under the hood of that particular investment to find out, you know, what you're really holding in that particular mutual fund. Right. All right. Thank you for that question, George. All right. Another one here from Mark, who says, I feel that I need to reduce the risk in my portfolio, but I don't know where to turn. I've looked at bonds, I've looked at annuities, and I've looked at just moving to cash. But all those options have drawbacks that I don't like. So what am I supposed to do? It is confusing, Mark. And so before we get ahead of ourselves with deciding what products to select, such as bonds or annuities or mutual funds, it is more important to understand the concept of risk. What is risk? So you may feel that uh, you have too much risk and which wish to reduce it, and that's fine. Uh, in the world of investors, risk normally is defined as losing everything. So, Barb, if I were to ask the average investor out there, would you like to put your money into an, a risky investment? What do you think they'll say? No. No way, because they think they're going to lose all their money, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that's not our world. That's not what we define risk as being. What we define risk as being is volatility. So, that is important to know in our world as investment managers risk is defined as a variation of what we call the average. In other words, how much will either a stock or a portfolio of stocks, bonds, or mutual funds fluctuate in price over a given period of time from the average? Mm -hmm. Now, here's an example of what we're talking about. Uh, we will use two portfolios measuring the amount of volatility you know, from the highest to lowest. So let's say that the average return in this particular portfolio has, has been 6% over long periods of time. We'll measure this for a 10-year period of time. So portfolio A, Barb, has, um, you know, it's it's over this 10 years, it will fluctuate between 5% up, so in other words, 11% up total, or negative 5 down, which would be 1% on the downside. 
mm-hmm. on the average, you know, that's that's going to give you a 6% return over a 10-year period of time. However, portfolio B, which will be getting the same return at the end of 6%, will fluctuate plus 10% or minus 10% on the average. So same period of time, same 6% average and result, right? Mm-hmm. So which portfolio is riskier? Well, a lot of people will answer that question by saying, well, gosh, I want the opportunity to make 10%. Well, really, is that what the portfolio is designed to do? No, because over a 10-year period of time, you're going to revert back to the 6%. Mm-hmm. So if you said portfolio B is the riskier portfolio because it has the greater uh, volatility, you would be correct. The only reason why you'd want to have portfolio B, Barb, is if you love ride, riding roller coasters. Right. I, did, did you like that Ex- when you extreme were- Extreme highs and extreme lows. Yeah. No, I never did. And I didn't either. No. I still don't. Uh, or if you love to go to your mailbox, open up your statements every uh, month and, and be either depressed or elated. Okay, those <laughs> that's the only reason why you want to have that kind of volatility in your portfolio. But here's the shocking fact. Most people own portfolio B and they don't even know it. True. They have more risk in their portfolio because they don't know how to measure it. They just basically take it uh, that they understand what, you know, at least they hope their, their advisor understands what's going on. And they may think that they're conservative investors, conservative investors, but mm-hmm. when the risk is measured, they really are not. So Mark, before we recommend a product or a portfolio to you, wouldn't you think it's a better idea to find out how much risk you have before you decide to make a change? Yeah. It's not about um, average returns, but the consistency of returns. Correct. That's important. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you're, if you're Mark, if you're near retirement or in retirement, it is a good idea to look at risk. The first question I'd have is what are all your expenses? Of course, that's where it starts with again, too. Um, Your needs in retirement should determine how your money should be invested. It sounds like you're into some options to um, looking at options to reduce risk. Talk to a retirement specialist Mm -hmm. and one that's a fiduciary. They'll go over all the pluses and minuses of those options. But I'd be curious to know what some of those options are that you didn't like and why. Some people have a stomach for risk and some not so much. So it's finding a comfortable balance for you that if you're more of a safety investor, you'll stay ahead of inflation, pay your taxes and give you the lifestyle you're looking for. And that can be done conservatively. I like it. I like the question, Mark. I know you're not alone in wondering uh, ways to do that. But that's, again, where... Your uh, advisor can come in and help you out there. So if you want to schedule a meeting with Barbara and Phil, you can do so at pathfinderchat.com. All right. One more today on the show. This one will be from Doug, who says, I don't like my 401k investment options, but my company says I'm not eligible to roll the money to an outside account. I know people have moved their 401k in the past. So how does this work? Yeah, that is a good question. We've done uh, that uh, with a number of uh, people here and at our firm too, Ben. Um, so Doug, typically the age rule is 59 and a half. It sounds like you're not wanting to withdraw money for any other reason than investment options. Um, that is the age, even if you're working, that you can possibly transfer money out, 59 and a half. Now, if you leave your job, that's the key right there. If you leave your job, then you can transfer no earlier than the year in which you turn 55. Then you can roll those funds to an IRA or another employer-sponsored plan, provided the employer plan accepts them, but you have to be leaving the job. If you're still working for the company, choices are limited for you to access that money in order to get better investment selections elsewhere. People that have moved their 401ks that you're referring to are likely at least 59 and a half, or they've left the company to move it prior to age 59 and a half. But moving it or transferring it doesn't mean you can withdraw money. In other words, if you're talking of withdrawing the money to use, that's a subject for another time. 
If you reach out to us at pathfinderchat.com for a 15-minute phone call, I would encourage you to do that. And then we can see what your current options are and possibly help you with that. And uh, how close to retirement you are or leaving that company to go elsewhere are you? There's a few other considerations to know. The uh, process they call that is an in-service withdrawal. If they're working for their firm and they wish to move the money out of the uh, 401k plan, Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of times uh, 401k plans will allow that. In other situations, they don't. Uh, The best thing to do is talk to your HR department to find out if um, you have that opportunity. Because quite frankly, if you move it out uh, outside of the 401k to an IRA, you do what they call an in-service withdrawal. You can still keep the 401k at the firm and keep contributing to it. Sure. But the money that you move out now has a world of investment opportunities for you out there. It's called a self-directed IRA, and uh, that would give you some better opportunities for uh, more consistent returns. And quite frankly, um, diversification is what it's all about. Yeah, much better selection. Mm-hmm. Very good. Hopefully that help answers your question a little bit there, Doug. Yeah, but again, if you have more on your mind, you can always find Barbara and Phil online at pathfinderchat.com. You can always call them too, if you prefer to do that at 815-399-9806. So Mary, George, Mark, and Doug, thank you for the questions today. And again, we encourage you to send them in to us. I know Barbara and Phil love hearing the feedback from listeners yes. and, uh, and we love to, to have this format on the show as well. So We will close it out on that note. Thank you for listening to the Retirement Pathfinder. Please subscribe to the show too if you haven't done that as well. And Barbara Phil, we'll talk to you again soon. Yep, have a great day. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.